We're starting a new uh, new uh, series this morning called You Asked For It. And what we're going to do for the next two weeks is we asked you, we said, hey, uh, you know, what are some topics that, that you haven't heard us speak about that you'd like to hear us talk about? Because one of the things we try to do is we try to, uh, we try to really plan uh, ahead in what we're going to teach on. We have our, our message calendar planned out for about a year ahead. And so we try to be sure that we know what we're going to talk about, and we pray about that, and and we really try to find guidance in, are we going to teach you the things that you need to help you grow toward Jesus Christ, which is one of the things that we want to happen for you. We want you to grow toward Jesus Christ, develop real relationships, and love people. And so part of what we do here, we we want to teach you things that are useful that can help you grow towards Jesus Christ. And so we do a lot of, if you've been here long, you know that we talk pretty much once a year, we'll talk about marriage, pretty much once a year we'll talk about money, some of those things that we know are big issues that people struggle with. Uh, But we were wondering, you know, what are some things that maybe you want to hear about that we haven't talked about? So for the next two weeks, we're going to do that. I'm going to start today with something else. And just let me tell you what we're going to talk about next week. So you can go ahead and get your friends here because it's something, you know, you you think I know what I'm going to say, but you probably don't know what I'm going to say. We're going to talk about alcohol next year. Now, I'm not talking about rubbing alcohol. I'm talking about stuff that you can drink and mess you up. That's what I'm talking about. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about alcohol. Some of y'all are already feeling the tension when I say that, and you're like, I ain't coming because I know what he's going to say. I promise you, you don't know what I'm going to say. I don't even know. No, I do know what I'm going to say. Just kidding. I've already got that one done, so I know exactly what I'm going to say next week. Uh, but, but today, we're going to start, uh, I was thinking about, if we're going to talk about, you know, controversial, not really controversial, but subject matter where, where there's some you know, areas where people don't really know, all right, what is right, what is wrong, what does the Bible say, or whatever. We, we've got to figure out why we're going to make those decisions. What are we going to do that's going to help us decide, all right, what are we going to say about alcohol next week? What are we, what, what's going to determine what we say is right, what we say is wrong, what's true, what's false about all of those kinds of things? And so, so that's what we're going to talk about today, because one of the things that, that uh, if you've lived very long on the face of the earth, uh, you realize that people make decisions in different ways. And we live in a world now where people let you know what they think about things immediately. Immediately. Last night, before I went to bed, there was a, a verdict return in a controversial trial, the George Zimmerman trial. And before I'd even gone to bed, I just thought, you know what, let's go on Facebook and, I, and, and there it was, man. Everybody's letting you know. The, some people, they were really excited about the verdict. Some people think that the whole governmental system is terrible. And so it, people just right away, they can let you know what they think, and they put their opinions out there. And, and then also, you've got you know, things like we have 24-hour news coverage, not just one channel, but several channels of 24-hour news coverage. And so you're constantly being bombarded with information, being bombarded with people's opinions. And so we have to figure out how are we going to look at everything out there and how are we, as followers of Jesus, how are we going to determine what is right, what is wrong, what is godly, and what is ungodly? And one of the, there, there's a couple ways that I think people generally tend to make those decisions. And, and the first one is people, a lot of times, they depend on their feelings. They depend on their feelings. And maybe you've even said this, or I know you've been around people that have said this, where someone will make some huge life decision and they will say something along the lines of, you know, it really, it just felt right. It just felt right. 
Or, you know, it just didn't feel right anymore. I, I remember hearing about a couple who decided to end their marriage, and, and their, their reasoning was they just felt like God said it was okay for them to get a divorce. And so people will make these decisions based on their feelings. And, and let me tell you, just to begin with, that is a very dangerous way to make a decision on anything. That's a very dangerous way to make a decision on anything based on how you feel. Because feelings change. You might feel one way about something today and another way about something tomorrow. How many of you have ever bought something brand new and you were so excited, couldn't wait to get it, and then the minute you bought it, you wished you hadn't bought it? Buyer's remorse. Anybody ever experienced that? That, that's a perfect example of where your feelings led you to do something, and then as soon as you got it, guess what? Now you feel differently about it. And so our feelings will, will lead us astray. Our feelings will, will take us down a path that we should not go. And, and part of the reason why our feelings are so untrustworthy is because we've all, we're all um, influenced by our experiences, whatever those experiences are, based on how you grew up, based on what you do now, based on where you work, based on what you learned in school, and all these different experiences, they influence the way we think. And to go along with all of those experiences are feelings. So if, if you were married and it was a terrible marriage, you have a feeling now attached to the idea of marriage. If you worked at a bank and, and it was a great experience for you, you have a feeling now attached to working at a bank. Now, that feeling might not have anything to do with what's actually true. It's just the way you perceive it. And, and even after our experiences, even after the experience is over and the details of that experience are fuzzy in our mind, the feeling that we had stays very clear. And we will make decisions based on that. I had a teacher in high school, a history teacher, that evidently uh, had gone through a very bad divorce sometime before I had her because I'll never forget, I'll, I'll rem probably remember it the rest of my life. She said one day in class, she said that any man who leaves his wife should be punished by axe murder. That was exactly what she said. And I got in trouble that day because my buddy who was sitting next to me who could always make me laugh, he leaned over and said, yeah, but what if that woman has a horse face? Because this lady had a horse face. And, uh, and I started laughing, and she asked me what I was laughing at, and I couldn't say, you got a horse face, maybe that's why your husband left. I couldn't say that. But, uh, but her, in, in her mind, now, any man who was married and is not married was a terrible person that should be chopped up by an axe because she had a feeling attached to her bad experience of marriage. And so now that's going to color all of the decisions that she would make in that area. I'll give you a, a totally frivolous example, but I think it, it speaks to some, some stuff that y'all can understand. We live in a state where there is a huge rivalry between two schools. And, and if you are a, a, a Tiger fan or if you're a Gamecock fan, it doesn't matter what the other team does or how good those players are, you feel a certain way about them, and it doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't matter how good those players are. If they play for the other team, you think they stink, and they're sorry, and they're overrated, and they're really not that good, and you don't know why people are talking about them, and you can't stand them, and all that kind of stuff, and it has nothing to do with truth. 
It has everything to do with your feelings based on some experiences that you had at some point in your life. So if we begin to allow our feelings to help us determine what's right and what's wrong, what's godly and what's ungodly, we are going to be in a situation where all of a sudden we think what's up is down and what's down is up because our feelings will lead us astray. Now, there's another, another uh, area that I think people use to help them determine what's right and what's wrong, and, and that's just as dangerous as feelings, and that is popular opinion. Popular opinion. People will um, they'll think one way about something for a while. Maybe they were raised to believe something. But then they get around, and it seems like everybody now that they've surrounded themselves with, they think an opposite way. And so they, people will change what they've always thought, not based on any facts, not based on anything that has to do with seeking what God thinks, but just based on the fact that, well, if I'm the only one that thinks this way, I must be the one that's wrong because the majority of people usually are right. So popular opinion will help me to determine what's right and what's wrong. And people will use that to, to decide those types of things. And my first question about that, that that I would you know just ask you is, how do you even know what the majority of people think? How do you even know that? You know what the people that scream the loudest think. You know what the people who control what comes out of the Internet and what comes out of the TV think because they're telling you all the time, this is what the majority of Americans thinks, but you don't even know that. It reminds me of when I was a teenager and, and uh, me and my dad would, would go round and round about something that I wanted to do that he didn't want me to do, and it usually involved places that I shouldn't be going or times I shouldn't be at certain places. And, and, uh, and, and so we would talk about that, or, and, and I, would, I would do most of the talking because my dad had his mind made up, and he'd just say no. And, and as I was talking, making my case, being like junior Matlock lawyer or whatever, I would say something along the lines of, but Dad, everybody else's parents lets them do such and such. Now, here's the deal. How do I even know that? That's a, that was just a complete made-up something to try to convince my dad. And of course, because my dad was a good dad, good dads, what do you say to that when your kid says, everybody else's parents, what do you, how do you respond to that? Say it out loud. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, that's exactly right. Not a, I'm not their parent or not, I'm not everybody else's parents or shut up, stupid. Whatever it is <laughs> that you need to say as a dad, you've got to say that. And so popular opinion, if, if, we, if we allow popular opinion to determine what's, what we think is right and what we think is wrong, here's what we're going to find out, is that it's always going to be changing. And it's always, it, it, what, what, was, what was popular, uh, you know, in 1950 was different in 1960, then it changed again in 1970, all the way till you get to 2013. And if you base what's right and what's wrong on popular opinion, it will never be the same. And here's the problem with that. We follow a never-changing God. And so we cannot believe that what he thinks is right and wrong is always changing because he never changes. We sang a song uh, before... I stood up here, two songs before I got up here, and it had a word in there, and it just, and I, I wasn't even planning on mentioning this, but I saw the word on the screen, and I thought, that's what we're talking about. It had a word in there, sovereign, S-O-V-R-E-I-G-N. I'm uh, remedial in spelling, but that's how you spell that, S-O-V-R-E-I-G-N, sovereign. 
You know what sovereign means? That's a big theological word. And the reason I thought about bringing that up is because some of you probably read that and you're like singing along like, oh, Emily sounds so good. Sovereign, yeah, we're sovereign. And you're like, what? I don't even know what sovereign means. If you think about it, you know what sovereign means? When we're talking about God, what sovereign means is God is God and he is exactly who he is. He's never going to change. He's going to do only what he wants to do. And so for us, we have to respond to him. We have to change and, and we have to allow him to change us and we have to respond to who he is and not try to change him into who we want him to be for us because he won't. God is sovereign. He's the same God when he created the world that he's going to be when he ends the world. And we're in that in-between time and he has never changed. And what is right and what is wrong has never changed. So how do we determine that? How do we as followers of Jesus, 2013, living in the upstate of South Carolina, how do we determine what's right and what's wrong? If it's not feelings and if it's not popular opinion, what is it? Well, thankfully, the God who we serve, who doesn't change, he gave us a tool. He gave us a tool where we can know exactly what he thinks is right and what he thinks is wrong. And that tool is the Bible. Some people call it the Scriptures. Some people call it the Holy Bible. Some people call it the Word of God. Whatever term you want to use for it, the Bible, we believe. Now listen, I want you to understand exactly where we're coming from. As the pastor of this church, me and the staff and the elders and the leadership of this church, we believe that the Bible contains the very words of God. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation, is all the words of God that he wanted in there. There's nothing in there that he wished he had left out, and there's nothing that, that he wished he had put in there that we need to add to it. It's exactly the way he wanted it to be. And when you open it up and read it, you are reading the words of God. And there's a verse of Scripture in Hebrews, and you can look on the screen. And I'm going to read this verse to you. And it talks about that. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. Now, the first part of what that verse there says is that the Word of God is living and active. Now, understand this. We believe that the Bible is the very words of God, but it was written down by men. So in that way, it's, it's no different than Shakespeare or A Tale of Two Cities or some John Grisham book. It was written down by men. But here's where it's different. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, we believe that, that God is, is, is three, three parts, that, and they're the same part, and, and it's all one God, but three different manifestations. What manifestation is another big theological word. I wish I hadn't said it, and I just did. Look it up when you get home. But God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that if you're a follower of Jesus, when you pray, it's the Holy Spirit that when you pray, the Holy Spirit, the, the book of Acts says the Holy Spirit intercedes for you and it takes the prayers that you say and it delivers them to the feet of the Father and it interprets those things for you. Even sometimes when you don't know what to pray, it's the Holy Spirit that knows what's in your heart and communicates that to the heart of God. And so it's the same Holy Spirit that when these men sat down Years and years ago, men like Paul and Moses and John and Peter, and these guys sat down with their pen and they started to write that they were being 
influenced and they were being uh, um, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit on what to say. And so when we read the Bible, it's living and active. It was written by men. And so even though it was written by men and Shakespeare was a man and Charles Dickens was a man and the stuff he wrote, it's very different because of the fact that it is the words of God and therefore it is alive because God is still alive. See, as long as God is living, as long as God is active and alive in the world, then His Word will be living and active. And we can be guaranteed that that's going to be forever. As long as this earth is here and we can read the words of God, they are going to be alive and and powerful in our lives because of the fact that God is still alive. It's um, If you put a Bible on a, a shelf and just leave it sitting there, it just looks like any other book. And um, if you just carry a Bible with you in your car and have it sitting in the seat next to you, you're not going to experience the living and active part of it. If, um, it's it's kind of like a, a power line. Um, if, let's say that you flew in here from Mars. Or let's not say Mars. Let's say, because there's no life on Mars. Maybe there is. Who knows? But anyway, let's say you flew in here from some country where they don't have power, all right? Wherever that might be. Sri Lanka. I don't know where it might be. So Google, when you get home, Google countries without power and email me. And then when I do this message again, I'll write it in. But anyway, you came to this country. You've never seen power lines before. Now, just looking at a power line, you've never seen them. You don't know what's going on. It, it doesn't look like, it just looks like a line. Doesn't look like there's any power. Doesn't look like there's any any kind of anything there that would change things. It's just there. But let's say you were here for the first time. You thought, I'm going to crawl up there and hang on to that thing. I'm going to pull a flying Walinda and walk across it with a big, you know, stick. And so you climb up there, and as soon as you touch it, what's going to happen? Well, then we're going to have your funeral, and we're going to talk about how stupid you were because you climbed a power pole and grabbed a line. Why? Because there's tremendous power in that line. But just by looking at it, you don't recognize its power. When will you recognize its power? When you begin to touch it, when you begin to get involved in it and you grab a hold of it. And the Word of God is no different. You buy a Bible and put it on your shelf, you download a Bible app and put it on your phone or your iPad, just having it on there, there's no power to that. But when you begin to get involved in it and you begin to read it, you will find out the, the, what the words say in Hebrews 4.12 are true, that it's living and active because then you begin to experience the power of it when you begin to touch it and it begins to become a part of your life. And then you'll also find out that it's very different from those other books I mentioned. That it's way more powerful than anything Shakespeare ever wrote or Charles Dickens ever wrote or a Harry Potter book, or a John Grisham novel. It's way more powerful than any of those things because it's got the power of God behind it. Now, the second part of that verse that I want to point out to you, it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And this gets down to why we have to use the Bible to determine what's right and what's wrong. See, when we read the Scripture, what we learn about when we read the Scriptures, we learn about who God is. We learn about the heart of God. We learn about what God has done, what He is going to continue to do. 
And when we learn about the heart of God and we learn about what he's done and what he's continuing to do, then we begin to see something in ourselves. And see, when we read about how good God is, then our own thoughts and our own actions, we begin to see how different we are. See, the Word of God exposes us to the heart of God, and that reveals the wickedness in our own hearts. Let me say that again, because I don't want you to miss that. The Word of God reveals the heart of God, and then that reveals the wickedness in our own hearts. Because we begin to see, okay, this is how God thinks. This is how God says I should treat people. This is how God says I should live. And then I know what I'm doing really. And it's not that. This is how God thinks about people that are different than me. And I know how I think about people that are different than me. And it's very different than the way God thinks about them. This is how God loves me. And I know that I refuse to love other people like that. And so when we begin to see the heart of God, when we read Scripture and we see the heart of God, it says that it judges our, our thoughts and our actions and it judges what's deepest in our heart because we see who God is and then we see who we are in comparison and there is such a huge difference there. And it helps us to realize our need for Him. That's why it's got to be our standard for determining right and wrong. That's why we, we should, when, when we have a, a question that we don't know an answer to, instead of trying to figure out what CNN or Fox News says, or instead of trying to figure out how we feel about it based on something that happened to us when we were eight years old, instead of using those things, we should open up the Scripture and we should begin to dig in and we should begin to read and find out what does God think about this? What does a person whose heart's been transformed by the Holy Spirit, how should I react to this? Because it's different than what popular opinion says very many times, and it's different than what you're feeling very many times. When um, I've, got a, uh, I've got a problem, and that is that I'm fat, all right? Now, if you're looking at me, there will be some nice of people of you that go, oh, Cliff, you're not fat. And there's others of you that are in really good shape, and you'll say, yeah, you are fat. Uh, but here's the deal. I know that I'm, you know, I need to drop off 25 pounds or so. And, and if I use as my standard the majority of my friends, then I'm doing great when it comes to my exercise. I'm really doing good. Mark Johnson, notwithstanding, he runs a bunch of miles every day, and he's a good friend of mine. But the majority of people I hang around with, you know, if I got up tomorrow and ran a mile and I said, hey, I ran a mile, they'd be like, dude, that's, I haven't run a mile in six months. But I've got another friend of mine who is 50 years old, okay? He's older than me, 50 years old. And this September, he is going to run a race. He's already... Uh, registered for it and he's training for it he is going to run a race of 50 miles not a marathon man that is for wimps he's going to almost double that sucker up and he's going to run 50 miles in the year that he's 50 now what should be my standard when it comes to exercise now maybe not 50 miles all right but but i should be closer to that than I am to most of my friends who are like me, that their biggest exercise is walking to the fridge and cutting another, you know, piece of ham off to eat while they're watching TV. That should be my standard. And it's way different than I am. 
It should be something that gives me something to strive for. And the Word of God is the same thing. The Word of God should be our standard. When we read it, we realize, man, I'm not even close to being like that. The Bible says that that if someone uh, hits you on one cheek, you turn and let them hit the other cheek. It talks about being submissive to authorities. It talks about loving people unconditionally. And if someone does you wrong, not once, not twice, but hundreds of times, you continue to forgive them. That's what the Bible teaches. And how am I living? Not like that. And so the Bible has got to be our standard for right and wrong. And so when you're trying to figure out, hey, What should happen here? What should I believe about this huge issue that's floating around out there? What your standard has to be is the Word of God and not the people around you, not the the popular opinion, not, not your feelings. You need to go to the Word of God and you need to get in there and figure out what it is that God is saying to you. That's got to be your standard. Now, here's two things that I want you to do as a result of what you've heard today. And the first one, Seems so simple, but if you don't do this, then I have just wasted a bunch of my time and your time. The first one is this, read it. Read it. Read the Bible. Read it, read it, read it, and then read it some more. And then when you're done with that, go back and read it again. Have I made the point? Don't read books about the Bible. You can read those too, but read the Bible. Don't just listen to a podcast, which those are fine. And I'm glad you listen to Joyce Meyer or Matt Chandler or Mark Driscoll or Perry Noble. Those, those people are awesome. But read it for yourself. Read it, read it, read it. That's the only way that it's going to be able to be your standard. That's the only way that you're going to experience the living power of it in your life is if you actually open it up and read it. You might say, Cliff, I'm really a poor reader. It'll, it's fine. It'll take a while, but get in there. And let me give you a, a word of advice. Start in the New Testament. If you get a Bible or a Bible app or if you buy a Bible, old-fashioned one with actual cover on it, and you open it up, the New Testament is the second part of the Bible. Start in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, and start reading from there. Read the New Testament first. And we'll talk one day about why I think you should read the New Testament first, but just start in the New Testament. Start reading that. If you're a person that reads the Bible all the time, you just read wherever you want to read, but read it every day. The truth, here's what I know to be true. That there are some of you in here right now, I don't want to speculate on a percentage, but there are some of you in here right now that the only Bible you experience is when you come here and if I read it from the stage or Donnie or Blake reads it from the stage and that's it. You've got one at home, maybe you've got an app on your phone, but you don't ever read it and that's the only thing that you experience. And then let's face it, let's just be honest, you're only here about twice a month anyway. So what you're experiencing Bible-wise is two hours a month. If you ate two meals of food a month, What kind of health would you be in? You'd be in sorry shape, wouldn't you? You'd be malnourished and starving to death. And if the only Bible you're experiencing is when you show up here twice a month and I read Hebrews 4.12 and I talk about it for about 30 minutes, if that's the only Bible you're experiencing this month, then let let me let you in on something. You are spiritually malnourished. 
Second thing, after you read it, test it. Test it. Here's what I mean by test it. Put what you read into practice and see if it works. Try it out. You might think, Cliff, that's, you know, is that sacrilegious or whatever? No, God says to do that. He's big enough to handle it. His word is true. He knows if you, he knows if you read it and put it into practice that, that your life is going to be better, that you're going to be more like him, that you're going to exp- begin to think like he does and treat people the way he does, and things are going to improve for you. And I'm not just talking, you know, Joel Osteen, you know, everything's going to be, you, you follow God, you're going to make a million dollars. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is, is you're going to be able to handle the things that come your way. Tough times are still going to come. People who follow Jesus every day, they experience bad things in their life. They get cancer just like everybody else does. They experience tragedy just like everybody else does. But you know what the difference is? Those people who are in the Word, who are reading it, and who are living it out, when the cancer comes, when the tragedy comes, they know how to deal with it. And they can see the good that God wants to do through them in that. Test it out. Don't just read it, but put it into practice. Test it out and see what happens. There's a book that I read... um, a year, a couple years ago, and it's by a guy, he's not a Christian, and uh, it caught, the, the title caught my attention, and, and I decided to read it, and it's called The Year of Living Biblically. And it's this guy, he doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't have any religion at all, and he decided for a year, he was going to live out the commandments of the Bible. Now, he, he, he messed up, he didn't start reading the New Testament He started in the Old Testament, so he didn't understand about Jesus and what Jesus did with the law in the Old Testament. And like I said, we'll talk about that another time. So he started living all the Old Testament laws. Like he he didn't shave his beard for a year. He wore garments that had no seams in them. He did all the things that in the Old Testament it tells you to do. But he also started to do some of the what the New Testament tells you to do. And he, he spent time fasting. And he spent time in prayer every day. And he did all those things. And you know what he said at the end of the year? Now, he still wasn't a believer. He still didn't believe in God. But what he talked about, even as someone who did not believe, did not believe that what he was reading was true, he said at the end of that year he found that he was a more peaceful person and that he was able to handle the things that happened to him in a better way, and that he was more kind to the people in his life. Someone who doesn't even believe tested it in his life, and he found benefit from it. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe what it says is true, what are you going to experience? If you begin to read the Bible every day, and when you read it says to forgive somebody, and you say, you know what, I need to call my dad who I haven't talked to in 20 years, and and I need to, to forgive him. Or I need to make amends with my ex-wife or ex-husband or ex-dog, whatever it is. You make amends. Whatever it is that you read, when you test it out, you're going to find that your life is different. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close up, and this is what I want you to think about. And we're, we're going to sing an old hymn, uh, I Surrender All. And the whole idea of that song is, is that you say, I'm not holding anything back, God, it's all yours. And I want to challenge you as a follower of Jesus to get in the Word and to give it all up to Him. Say, God, I'm going to give you the time it takes to do it. I'm going to give you the thing that I've been holding back, whether it's my money or my job or whatever, and I'm going to give that over to you. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, the first thing you need to give is you need to give your life. Oh, not a big deal. Just my whole life? Yes, your whole life. 
You need to say to, say to God, I've been trying to do this on my own, and I know I can't do it, and I know I've messed up, and I want to give this to you. And I trust you to do more with it than I can do. I trust you to forgive me of the things I've done wrong, and I believe that Jesus died on the cross, and it's because of that that I can give you my life. So I'm going to pray for us. When I'm done praying, I want you to jump up and sing this old hymn, and we'll go out of here celebrating what God has done celebrating who he is, what he's going to do, and celebrating the fact that he can change us if we will begin to live for him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity to be together. And thank you for giving us the tool of your word. And that it's what we read in there that helps us to determine what's right and what's wrong. It's what we read in there that uh, shows us who you are and shows us what your heart is. And then when we see that, we realize how far we have to go. I pray for myself that I would read more of your word every day. And I pray for each of these folks in here that they would read more of your word every day. And that when we read parts that are confusing to us, that you would reveal the truth in them that we would trust you to do what you've said you will do, which is speak to us. Your word says, Lord, that if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask you for it, and you give it generously to us without finding fault in us. And so, Father, I'm asking for myself, and I'm asking for everyone in here to please give us wisdom. Give us the wisdom that we can find in your word to show us how we live our lives how we can be better husbands and wives and children, how we can be better bosses and employees, and how we can make an impact in the world that you've put us in. You are a good God. You are kind. Thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. We ask these things in his name. Amen.